Welcome aboard the Little Red Bandwagon, your twice-weekly podcast celebrating the radio show turned podcast Too Beautiful to Live in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. I'm Bobby Pape, and joining me for this Friday edition of Little Red Bandwagon in Kyle, Texas, Mike Frizzell. Good afternoon, Mike. Good afternoon, Bobby. This, as I mentioned, is a Friday episode of the show. This is not our Monday recap edition. Catch the last episode or the next episode for that. But this Friday, we're going to sit down and talk with a 10 about a favorite moment of hers from TBTL history and get to know her a little bit. Joining us from Long Beach, Washington, Michelle Zinkovich. Ha. Close? Zinkovich, but I will take Zinkovich. it. <laughs> accent's wrong. I wrote it down quickly and I... Uh, this is the whole reason Mike didn't want to do the intro to the show, is so that I got to mispronounce your last name. Michelle Guilty is charged. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> uh, we don't have anything we must discuss, so we're going to jump right into getting to know Michelle, followed by her clip from TBTL History. Then we'll tell you how to get involved and do a little housekeeping. Mike, why don't you uh, dive in with Michelle? Well, uh, Michelle, we were working, Christy and I were working on a project about my uh prison stories and my bank robbing experience and all that. And we realized that we were falling a week behind. And I've been talking to you um, through direct messages for a reason that we'll reveal in a little bit. But um, as soon as we fell behind in that schedule, I was like, I know of somebody that I, I want to get on uh, real fast. I didn't want to, you know, wait until after we do all these, these shows with Christy, I wanted to get you on. And, uh, and there's, there's a reason for that, which we'll reveal, but um First, let's let's get to know you a little bit. How do you, how did you end up in Long Beach, Washington? I noticed from your Facebook page, all my stalking, that uh, you're originally from Cheyenne, right? That's quite a quite a difference. Uh, yeah, it's a little different. I worked for Trend West, which I'm sure you've heard of up here in the Northwest, 20 years ago, mm -hmm. and I worked for the guy that I now work for now, and we just always stayed friends and kept in contact after we had both left the company and um, when he started working down here, uh, he just was like, I really want you to come and work with me. And I was living in Las Vegas at the time and I was in the real estate market and mm -hmm. I could see the uh, writing on the wall nine years ago that that wasn't going to be good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I came up here in July, Right. ocean breezes, 76 degrees. It was paradise. Little did I know <laughs> mm -hmm. that winter was coming. <laughs> so that's how I ended right, up here. And right. I've been here for nine years now. Michelle, I've only been to Long Beach a couple times, uh, and I can't remember, but it was quite a while ago. So it was before the other Long Beach got as famous as it did. But I like to imagine there's like some some white Snoop Dogs like walking up and down the beach there. We, just before we started, we heard a ton of sirens there. So it really sounded like the other Long Beach. <laughs> yeah, we're all just uh, sipping on our gin and juice. <laughs> nice. At the resort. Uh, yeah. It's but you're very, you're very close to, you're relatively close to Portland, right? So I imagine it's artisanal gin. Of course. <laughs> uh, we're like two and a half hours from Portland. So it's you're just about two and a half hours from anywhere when you're in Long Beach. It's yeah, at least that <laughs> sort of e equidistant, you know, between uh, Seattle and Portland. So, do you do you get a lot more people from from up north or from down south, or is it a lot of out of state people coming to Long Beach? I've always wondered who who vacations down there. Is it people from Seattle and Portland? It is. It's people from Seattle mostly. People in Portland, they're going to go over twenty Highway twenty six. Sorry to get all local on you, but. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and go to Lincoln City and Newport. Oh, Those right, are so much right. closer for them. So most of True. ours do come from Seattle, Tacoma, Olympia, Kelso, Longview. Since Andrew moved back from L.A., people have been dying for more traffic time. <laughs> yeah. So if you... Oh, yeah. We can do our own episode of the Californians, except for the Washingtonians. <laughs> we, I can really make people's eyes glaze over because uh, the the thing that I first noticed when I started uh, stalking your page was that you're a big sports fan. Was it the profile picture? You, your, <laughs> your banner is the Cubs World Series banner, which is great. And I, I was I was thinking about 
I, I looked at where you where you grew up, and I was thinking about how you might have come by your sports fandom, and, and let me know if my theory is correct. You grow up in Cheyenne, and I, you know, your your profile picture, of course, you're mentioning is a Denver Broncos tattoo. Is that your tattoo? It sure is. It's a beautiful tattoo. <laughs> um, I. That's a lot coming from you, Mike. <laughs> I, I grew up, I mean, my brother was an original season ticket holder for the Seahawks, and we sat there many years and watched John Elway take us apart. I, there's no team I hate worse than the Denver Broncos, but I do respect them, and I respect Elway, and I respect you if what I think is true um, is actually true, and that is you grow up in Cheyenne, you get the Denver Broncos on your TV every Sunday. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, because I mean, you 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 head out of Denver and you can be in Wyoming quickly. Where I lived an hour and a half from Denver. Yeah, yeah. So, so all is forgiven there. If if you had if you had grown up, you know, if you'd grown up in Florida and you were a Denver Broncos fan, there's no way you'd be on this show right now. <laughs> this interview not only would be over, it would have never happened. But uh, if you're a native of the area and they've piped in the games, I mean, you, you can't help but be a fan of the games, you know, the team that you're going to see every Sunday. Right. Exactly. Now, my dad is from Chicago, and that's why I like the Cubs. Okay. And that's where I was going next. And you certainly sound, you got a little, you have a little of his accent. It's uh, probably a little, a little bit of yeah, Midwest. a little bit. Spent some time back there. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, my dad told me when I was a kid, I was like, dad, why do you like the Bears? And he said, because you root for the home team. And I said, well, Denver would be our home team, right? And he said, yeah. And I go, oh, well, then I'm a Denver Bronco fan. I was seven. Good. My dad has regretted that ever since. Because <laughs> he wanted, he actually wanted you to be a Bears fan. Of course. <laughs> Bobby, what were you saying? Uh, two things. One, it sounds like you made the right choice uh, in the long run. Sure. And two, yeah. uh, seven seems a little young for a tattoo. but it <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. You never know. I mean, you're going to grow. That thing's going to lengthen. You know, you got to, you should yeah. really wait until you're at least 16, 17 to get a tattoo that large. Well, body, I would think, but it was Wyoming. They just, you know, as long as you stayed inside the it's corral, the it was okay. <laughs> right. What's, uh, what did your, what did your dad do in Wyoming? What, why, how, why did you grow up in Cheyenne? Uh, my dad, when he met my mom, worked for the BLM and, he was going to go when they got married, they were going to move back to Chicago and they stopped in Cheyenne to see one of his friends from when he was in the air force during the Korean conflict. I was a really late in life child for my dad <laughs> and uh, they decided they really liked Cheyenne and that was like 1962. Nice. And they stayed there. Nice. For people who grew up, Away from large swaths of land, BLM is the Bureau of Land Management? Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But my dad worked for the post office the whole time I grew up. Um, the, the, I had one more thing about the sports fandom. Um, I'm going to ask you uh, first, I mean, this is a two-parter. One, uh, are you an NBA fan at all? And two, are you an Oklahoma City Thunder fan? Because it, we can end this podcast at any time. Absolutely not an OKC fan. And NBA peripherally. Okay. Well, I'm glad we got through that because I, I we, we needed a show for this Friday for sure. And if uh, if that Broncos thing had been a bandwagon deal, I just don't know if I could have uh, continued on. Because um, you know there are there are fans of the Broncos all over the country that have never set foot in Denver. By the way, that's kind of my that's kind of my. Um, acid test for sports fans like all these fans of the lakers or whatever they love kobe Bryant or whatever and if you drop them off in la they couldn't they they wouldn't last for 10 seconds they wouldn't know where they were they would get eaten up by the city so if you can't uh at least somewhat navigate a city in some way or never visited just get off the get off the nuts of that city's uh sports team that's my soapbox (laughs) well for my seattle seahawks fans I always ask, do you know who Steve Largen is? I just got to know. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> if you just became a fan with Russell Wilson, you're not a fan. Absolutely. I, I agree. Um, but uh, I'm not going to rant about the Seahawks fans because we have too many of them <laughs> listening. Um, so the the reason that I know Michelle 
is when I was going through my BKA, the below the knee amputation, um, I got uh, a message from Michelle saying that she was a fellow BKA. It was a, it, you did get a below the knee, right, Michelle? Yep. Um, and that uh, it was it was twelve years ago, and you were very encouraging and and gave me a lot of good advice and tips, and also told me um, I, I think the 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 best thing that you told me was to have a story ready or have some because people are always going to say like, are you going to get one of those? Uh, Oscar Pretorius things and go, <laughs> you know, go do marathons and triathlons or whatever. It's like, well, I wasn't training to do any of that bullshit before, before this came along. So I really doubt that I'll be, you know, be doing that, you know? So exactly. I appreciated that. And the story that I came up with was, um, I'm no, I won't be doing any, any triathlons or, or marathons or even half marathons. I just want to be able to get into the garage and get the goddamn dog food out, you know? I just, you know, you know Michelle from before you got your uh your prosthetic, um how hard everything is. How you have to think about all the little things that you want to do during the day and how much longer everything takes. Yes, from cooking bacon to taking a shower. It's all <laughs> figuring it out right mike <laughs> um yeah, i just want to compliment yeah, like, your priorities <laughs> we'll start right. with cooking bacon, bacon. Then we'll <laughs> the well the thing is you gotta eat you bobby the bacon, you're you're, <laughs> you're greasy <laughs> your head is 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 covered with bacon grease so then you have to take a shower but uh it's true like that uh taking a shower the first few times i took a shower when i got home from the hospital it took it out of me and I mean, I had to lie down on the bed and I'm sweating so that the shower is pretty much canceled out because it, it took so much effort to get in and out of there. Um, so everything is hard. Everything takes forever. And having someone, you know, know that, recognize that and, you know, not, you know, she knew I didn't need like raw, raw. She knew I just needed like the raw truth about what was going on. And I'm still quite a ways away from getting that prosthetic. I'm still still healing the stump, but, um, but Michelle, it meant a lot to me Aww. that you reached out like that. I appreciate it. Well, anytime, you know, you can uh, reach me. It happened to you 12 years ago. How, um, what happened to your, to your leg? Mine was, uh, as everyone knows, a uh, Charcot foot, but what happened to yours? So I was walking down some stairs in an office building and I had files in my hand and I turned to tell my boss, yeah, I've got that in my office. And I caught my heel on the tread on the stair and it made me go backwards and fall forwards and my knee hyperextended and I tore mm-hmm. the artery that goes along the back of your kneecap. It's called the popliteal. And so I hemorrhaged inside my leg nice. and I crushed my shoulder at the same time emergency you know ambulance to the hospital emergency surgery for 12 hours Mm -hmm. they were able to harvest another artery to repair that one so they didn't amputate right away and then i also had fasciotomies Mm -hmm. which is where they open up the skin because the bleeding and i was in the hospital Mm -hmm. for six months because i was trying to save my leg so I actually didn't oh, have my amputation man. until May. My accident was in November, which mm-hmm. was 12 years. And then my amputation was in May. So I'm coming up on 12 oh years gosh. since my amputation. So yeah, I was in a wheelchair that whole time. So those things suck. <laughs> and when I've had to use a yes. walker or a wheelchair at all in the last 12 years, like it just immediately puts me in this really bad funk, like depression, and yeah mad (laughs) it's so confining i know what you're feeling like you want to just carry in dog food and you can't even figure out how you're gonna get (laughs) fed so and you're taking care of somebody else i i was just had myself so well i mean i i feel bad for even complaining about my stuff now because i didn't i i didn't know all those details of your deal i mean mine mine was about as I mean, I, of course, I was struggling to to keep functionality of my foot for six, seven months before I finally, you know, sort of succumbed. And I, I mean, we went. I I knew what was happening, and we I'd had an MRI and I'd seen the 
the infections in the bone and and I knew what was happening and I took like one day to like get everything in order. I had that luxury. And then, you know, we went to an emergency room the next day. We went to the one at the hospital we wanted to have the surgery in with the surgeon that I wanted. So it was it was all pretty orderly. Uh, so I, now I, I'm never going to complain about that again because it could have been so much worse. What you went through is that's just terrible because I mean, mine, the protocol was right there. It's like, oh, there's three there's three infections in, in the bones and midfoot. <laughs> And it's collapsing anyway. So, I mean, uh, like three different doctors, we all looked each other in the eye and go, yeah, <laughs> that's what's got to happen. But I mean, well, this I tr- had to be, a, oh, what, was it a tough decision? Was it your decision? I mean, was it, was it, was it something that was like a coin toss? They wanted to keep trying and you were just like, get rid of it. Or how does that work? No, I had done like three surgeries. Well, once, once they were able to, you know, stabilize my leg Cause that was pro- like my accident was in November. So like in January, the next thing I had to do was have skin grafts done because of those fasciotomies. Mm-hmm. And then we did three repair surgeries to try and get me back to being able to walk. What happened is my ankle froze pointing down like a ballet pos- point position oh, no. <laughs> because of compartment syndrome. When mm-hmm. you have that lack of blood flow and we tried yeah. three times to, you know, do surgery just to try and get it back to flat. It would never be fully functioning, but if it could go back to flat, at least I'd be able to walk on it. And hmm. it just never, right. they never were able to move that joint back. And then I went and saw a doctor in Fort Collins, Colorado, and he said, cut it off. And I was like, but but I just spent all this time trying to save it. And he was like, yeah, he's like, I just cut it off. He's like, I do amputations all the time and you know, you'll be back up and walking in a couple Mm -hmm. of months and you'll have your life back. You know, do you want to live like this where you're taking eight Percocet Mm -hmm. a day and drooling on yourself on the couch? (laughs) So it was the, it was the right time for some tough love. I probably wouldn't have been able to hear Mm -hmm. it two months before, you know, uh, taking a bunch mm-hmm. of pain pills and drilling on the couch is actually a different chapter of Mike's. Life. <laughs> See, we're just we're just doing yeah, it in different orders. A, quite, quite a spell. <laughs> right. Sorry, I was just feeling right. left out of the conversation for a little while, so I wanted to jump back in. With all your limbs over there, Bobby. <laughs> yeah, not to brag, guys. <laughs> hey, it's a low bar. Um, but but uh, Michelle. Pain was really the tipping point for me. Uh, I just couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't be on my feet more than 10 or 15 minutes at a time, and it was only getting worse. So, you know, the infections the, you know, the infections just sort of gave me the excuse, you know, this thing's got to go. This foot is never going to be right. Yeah. Um, but now, you know, I'm risking sepsis. So, you know, good goodbye, good riddance. And I'm glad I didn't have to go through as much time as you did in that sort of limbo that's pretty terrible cuz i mean i'm i'm no longer in in a great deal of pain i mean i still have some and i still have a little bit of the phantom pain but um nothing too horrible and as soon as i can get this thing healed up i'm going to get back up on my feet too and and i'm really looking forward to that and it's good to know someone who's been through it and is uh i mean you know you you're you're living a full life, and that's what I want to get back to. So thank you for sending me that message. Well, you will. I know you will. Oh, with that, guys, I think we should move on, because if we do another episode where we all cry about Mike, <laughs> everyone is going to be pissed. <laughs> ah. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've talked about, uh, we've talked about traffic patterns. Uh, we've talked about <laughs> sports, and we've talked about amputations. Uh, we, we might need to do something a little more general. So like Bobby, maybe you should, uh, take her through her TBTL paces. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Michelle, tell us how did you find out about TBTL? Well, I moved to Long Beach in August of 2007 and TBTL started in January of 2008. And my car actually could pick up Cairo AM when I was out driving, learning this new area. And anybody that knows this little area, the North Coast of Oregon and 
Washington, you have to go to Astoria to go to Costco or Safeway or Fred Meyer. So you spend a lot of time crossing the river. And I used to like time it so that at seven o'clock I was in my car listening to TBTL. And then when I couldn't really pick it up at home or in my office, I figured out podcasting. So that's how long I've been listening. And that's how I got here. (laughs) That's great. Did you pick up other podcasts? This is off the chart for our regular questions. But I'm curious, did you pick up other podcasts because you had figured out TBTL podcasts? Or did you just stick to TBTL for a while? No, I started listening to podcasts all the time. When I first got here, I worked in an office all by myself. And I don't actually work at the on site at the hotel resort that I work at because I just do the paperwork. And so it was like 10 hours a day in an office all by yourself with no one to talk to. (laughs) And my phone rarely rings. So podcast is really like how I dealt with being able to work those many hours by myself. Yeah, it's actually very similar to my situation. I go into work about half the time and I work from home about half the time. And when I go, I'm in the car for like an hour each way. So it's a lot of audio time. Exactly. It sounds like you jumped onto the TBTL wagon pretty early. Do you remember anything about your first episode? I don't remember the first episode, but the episode we're listening to today was when I knew I was in like a hundred percent and started going back and listening to ones I'd missed and always, you know, caught up and kept up with it. So the next question then, Michelle, is do you know what episode of TBTL turned you into a 10? Do you have a a memory of a a turning point or a moment that sticks with you? It was definitely this episode that we were listening to. It was a three-parter. I'm sure we'll talk more about it in a minute. But I just I remember exactly what I was doing when I listened to this episode on my iPod. (laughs) I was driving down (laughs) the uh, 101 to Newport, Oregon. And I was listening to all these TBTLs that I had kind of backlogged on. And uh, I just knew when I heard this one, I was like, yep, I'm in. Forever long this lasts, since it's called Too Beautiful to Live. Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, this will be over in a year. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad uh, that the show has exceeded your expectations then. (laughs) It was their expectation. (laughs) They named it. (laughs) Sure. Fair enough. Have you made any appearances on the show or had any emails read, anything like that? I've had uh, uh, tweets. I've tweeted Luke that he's read, but no emails, no appearances. I like to consider myself part of the silent tens. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, we're glad that you're speaking up today. Uh, uh, This is one of the more recent additions to our question list. Do you have any favorite TBTL drops? Um, I guess... Did you poop? <laughs> Classic. Okay. That's a popular one, yeah. <laughs> uh, and now the uh, perennial favorite. Why does TBTL matter to you? Well, when I first moved here, I didn't know anybody but my boss. And so I was really lonely and pretty depressed. And this area is kind of isolating in the wintertime with the rain and the clouds. So it really kind of got me through probably like two or three years before I really started to acclimate to living here. And these were my friends that lived in Seattle and they talked about things I had been to or would go to, or I I mean, I've gone places that Luke has talked about like rebar in Seattle, which she probably only mentioned a few times, but my friend in Seattle recommended this place. (laughs) (laughs) Michelle, have you ever uh, gone to any events or considered going to any TBTL events? I haven't been to any TBTL events. I've wanted to, but like the picnic is on a Wednesday. So for me to drive up to Seattle and back or take the time off, it hasn't really worked out. But for two seasons, I was a... um, season ticket holder to Livewire. And I, oh. so that's how I first met Lynn. And mm-hmm. I became friends with like Maggie on the Stens oh. page because I had tickets that I couldn't use. And I posted like, hey, can anybody use these tickets? And she was going to use them. And then she ended up not being able to use them. And then Marcy Meyer is the mm-hmm. one that uh, mm-hmm. ended up using those tickets. And then the third season, Marcy and I bought a season of tickets and then just split them, shared them, which worked out so much better. Mm-hmm. But now that Livewire records on Wednesdays 
in Portland and every week it was just it would be too much. I know I wouldn't be able to make that many shows. Do, do you ever, uh, I know Marcy and them sometimes and Lynn mingle after the show and talk to Luke and some of the other folks there. Have you met Luke there? I haven't. <laughs> Are you, you is it, it a shyness issue? <laughs> Social anxiety? What's going on with you? Well, one time Lynn was like, let me take you back to meet Luke, you know, yeah. where, you know, where the little bar was in the, other revolution hall when they were recording at revolution hall but luke was like surrounded by all these people and i had to get back to mm-hmm. Lo- long beach that night and i was like i'm gonna split i'll see ya so mm-hmm. i just has never really worked out and i never write okay. emails complaining about anything or being mad at him <laughs> about stuff sure i just go oh that's not for me <laughs> mm-hmm. but yeah that's that's it uh lynn i know you're listening Next time you and Michelle are both at a Livewire event, please make her meet Luke. I think it's long overdue. It's on my bucket list. He's a, he's a delight. Oh, I am absolutely sure of it. I feel like I know him. Uh, I often know, I think we know Luke better than Luke knows Luke. We remember more than he's ever going to f- remember from years of confessing things to us on TV. <laughs> yes. And we're all intently listening. And now you guys are note taking. So that must, do you guys have to listen to like all the yeah. episodes twice? Uh, uh, I don't, I, I find that if something tickles me, I'll, I'll take a quick note. And if I doesn't, then it probably doesn't warrant my bringing it up. The only time I will listen to something twice is if I found that I've zoned out. Um, I'll go back a little bit and make sure I didn't miss anything good. Or I, I definitely, if I zone out during one of Andrew's quizzes, though, I don't ever go back. <laughs> it's not worth it. Yeah, well, you know. Now, is Devon an area, a neighborhood in Chicago, or is it a street? <laughs> I'm still wondering. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I just need to know if it's in the loop or not. <laughs> as much as we could be here all day to make fun of this week's TVTL, we actually have we have an older uh, TVTL moment to pick apart. Uh, you've brought us a clip from July 2nd of 2008. It's uh, from, I believe, the second half of hour two of that night's broadcast. And as you mentioned earlier, uh, it's part of a three-day mini-mystery uh, sort of solved. So why don't we stop now and take a listen, and then we'll come back and talk about it. Oh my god, guys, we are crushing it! It's the chip switch. Welcome back to TBTL, where it's time to solve a mystery. Why doesn't every mystery involve warrant? That's what I want to know. And there's no amount of Celebrity Fit Club 2 that can make me not like this lead singer of this band. Because this rocks. In fact, it rocks my butt. In fact, it's almost like it's butt rock. This week's uh, three-day mini-mystery, because we're going to be bringing you some best of TVTL the next two nights, is the uh, mystery of the term butt rock. I think I threw butt rock out at some point on the show. I mentioned it offhandedly, and listener Christopher emailed in that he appreciated being reminded of that awesome term, and then he also wondered where did it get started. And so this week we've tried to kind of Figure out a definition of butt rock, what are we talking about, and then also maybe see if we could figure out the first person to to utter it. And, and you know, it's it turns out that the term butt rock, it's like 
talking about butt rock is like talking about the sun. So many different people have so many different ways to do it, different cultures, mm-hmm. you know, different languages, even different regions of the country. There are almost, you know, to just boil a butt rock down to one thing and to try to find the one person who first uttered it almost, in my mind, diminishes the universality. And I'm pretty sure that's a word. Sure. Somebody get Nick to check that. <laughs> of butt rock. So we're going to bring you some of those different definitions that people found or terms that people used for the music in their neighborhoods uh, where girlfriend spawned Vanessa grew up. It was Those guys were called Heshers. Um, Maura of the Massachusetts 10 says, uh, on the subject of butt rock, your show was the first place I ever heard this term. Growing up in Massachusetts, we uh, called these groups hair bands. The music was referred to as hair metal or utter bleep. I can't say on a family radio show with Mary listening. She said, I've never heard of Hesher either. Well, you didn't live, Mara. You didn't live. Uh, Jen Jen in Renten (laughs) writes, I just wanted to add my two cents on the butt rock topic. On the East Coast, at least in New Haven, Connecticut, where I went to school, we called the musical acts in question poser bands or simply posers. These bands placed as much uh, emphasis on posturing and posing uh, as creating quality material. Examples include Quiet Riot, Mr. Big, Winger, Rat, Warrant, and Ugly Kid Joe. Ugly Kid Joe a little late to that party, yeah. I think. They did I Hate Everything About You. And that's all they did. Well, that we've ever heard of. <laughs> um, uh, Tico, or maybe that's Tycho, writes, uh, On the subject of butt rock, I'm older than you all, and I think your definition of butt rock is a little too narrow. Jen, what was our definition of butt rock exactly? Uh, it was the one that we got from Urban Dictionary, which was basically these bands in the late 80s, a little bit into the uh, early 90s, yeah. who had uh, ratted out hair with... Aeros- with uh, Hairspray. Hairspray, but it was a certain kind, Aquanet. And they wore spandex and other in leather, and uh, sometimes a little lip gloss, and, and maybe some eyeliner. And one of the things they mentioned is at any point in the video, the drummer blows a kiss to the camera, right. you know that you're dealing with butt rock. Right. Now, this is not just all heavy metal. No. Everything in heavy metal is not considered butt rock. There are certain things. Well, what we felt like is that certain bands transcended out of butt rock. You know, they had they had enough talent or enough fame. So that would be like Def Leppard, uh, uh, Bon Jovi, Motley Yeah, Crue. Bon Jovi is not butt rock. No. It is not butt rock. I think they could have been. I think if they had left it just at Slippery When Wet in those videos, I think they would have right. been butt rock. But they It's, it's like as if, as if if you were talking about uh, quote-unquote hip-hop music and you had a category of hip-hop music that was really populated by like MC Snow, who did that song, Informer. We know <laughs> I lick it boom, boom, down. <laughs> and maybe uh, certain, uh, you know, like maybe who else? Shaggy. Shaggy or maybe uh, uh, who were the uh, kids who uh, did Chris that? Crisscross. Yeah, crisscross. Okay, if you created a category for them under hip hop, maybe calling it, uh, you know, I don't know, synthetic hip hop. Mm-hmm. That would not. It would not be fair to also bring in a Cool Mo D or LL Cool J or uh, you know people like right. that into that. So so you know we don't we wanted to try to narrow down the definition and for us it was the kind of also ran bands. The bands that maybe had one or two hits but weren't as big as really a Motley Crue or a uh, Bon Jovi. Cuz right. I was not Leopard. I never had butt rock type hair. I never adopted the the look, but I loved Bon Jovi. I thought Slippery When Wet was the greatest album of all time, and I still may stand by that. All right, so t- uh, Tico writes, um, I'm older than you. I think your definition of butt rock is a little too narrow. Truly, the biggest butt rock band of all time was Guns N' Roses. Hair, denim, guitar shredding, and the power ballads. Yes, but they were very popular. That doesn't make them less butt. Hmm. Yeah. I, I, I guess, you know, it's, it's on us to kind of come up with our definition, so I'm, I'm going to say... For us, we define it a little more narrowly than that. A lot of people have been throwing in the Poison, the Motley Crue, the Def Leppard. You know, a lot of people want them included. I don't know how we're going to deal with that. You think Poison's too big to be in the... 
Now, I'd be willing to go with Poison being about rock. But wow. and, and even maybe Motley Crue, although, I mean, they're hugely... See, I think Poison and Motley Crue are both too big. Too big. Yeah, I think that they're just too popular. Uh, I think... But, that... like, Def Leppard to me isn't even a question. First of all, they didn't wear spandex, they didn't wear makeup, and they're really good uh, on their instruments. Even, I mean, one of them's got one arm. <laughs> Uh, Rick Allen. Yeah, he's still a great drummer. Remember, there was a girl in eighth grade, Marcy, at my school who was in love, in love with him. She would not stop talking about how amazingly hot he was. And I thought, you just want us to think you're quirky because you love a one-armed drummer. (laughs) But then they got married, and I was wrong. (laughs) Uh, Listener D writes, the butt portion of butt rock is the same as Fogelberg. It was the, quote, Gay glam rock in my mind. I think what he's saying is, they were in when he grew up. You would call it butt rock because it was so blow dried, and there was so much hairspray and so much lip gloss, as for it to be pretty homoerotic. Mm-hmm. That actually. But he might also be meaning it like Fogelberg, like lame. Oh no, no. He says gay glam rock. Right. Well, yeah. But I think when we switched over to Fogelberg, the idea was that you were meaning it as like lame. Well, yeah, but he uses the word, the letters G, A, and Y right next to each other. So okay. I feel like it's fairly – I don't know. Maybe we can give us a second opinion. But he <laughs> goes, uh, glam is short for glamour. There is a glam rock and glam metal, which is a subset of rock and metal. I think glam equals butt rock in either sub-genre. Uh, All right, so I don't know if we're going to ever exactly make a definitive list of the bands that are and aren't butt rock. But we can, but we can now ask the question of where the term butt rock originated. And we've got a few – competing theories right now. Ann Powers, chief pop music critic at no uh, less than the Los Angeles Times, maybe you've heard of it, last night said she thought it was a buffalo, maybe got started, I'm sorry, with um, Grand Funk Railroad. Grand Funk Railway? Grand Funk Railroad. Because they talked about kick butt rock. Right. And so the thought was, at some point, the, the kick got dropped, and it just became butt rock. That's a theory. Your theory, Jennifer, it, as a kid, was... That their hair hung to their butt? Um, that's, that's also a theory. And they were always shaking their butts? Well, that's another one that people have put forward, is, mm-hmm. is that it, uh, it's because... Th- their, the butt was suddenly so prominent. I feel like it's related actually to their butts. Like, I don't feel like that's a metaphor. I feel like it's actually about their butts a little bit. Um, well, I mean, whatever the uh, whatever the, the actual origin of it, you know, I think I don't think we're going to I don't think we're going to get down to a definitive. We're not going to get to the person who just uttered butt rock the first time somewhere. I think we can agree, though, just logically, just using our, our powers of, of logic, that but it was not something that was considered a positive. I don't think anyone who was... It was something that was placed upon the genre by people outside it who didn't think it was cool. Yes. So, um, you know, any... Uh, that makes me actually want to rule out the Grand Funk Railroad right. kick butt rock because and if it even started there, it certainly very quickly evolved away from that. Okay, so let's take that off the list. Yeah, I also think that uh, no offense, Jennifer, but your idea that it's because their hair hung down to their butt, <laughs> I have I have a hard time believing that one because uh, everybody's hair hung down to their butt there. They it wasn't like everyone had flat tops and suddenly these guys show up with this long hair mm-hmm. and suddenly it's like. Uh, oh my God! The hairs to the butt. We'll call them butt rockers. I'm simply throwing out a 13 year old's assumption. Right. right. So I think we can kind of I think we can kind of take that off the list though because I just uh, you know it doesn't it doesn't seem like people would be that struck by the length of their hair because everybody had it then that length, which kind of leaves us with the fact that this was named uh, what it was named because there was so much. There was so much butt shaking. There were so many butts in spandex. And what's less to other dudes, what's less manly, what's less cool than a spandexed up butt being shaken around on a stage? I mean, that is a little Fogelberg for a lot of guys' taste. And considering this was a pejorative, 
It seems to me, and I'm just going to go ahead and declare it, that the origins of the term have to be in the fact that this was the first time in this style of music that guys' butts, be they Vince Neil, be they Sebastian Bach, were... Uh, and even David Lee Roth. Mm-hmm. Now, David Lee Roth, we wouldn't consider Van Halen butt rock. But no. it doesn't mean that he could not have inspired an entire movement because right. his he did love to shake his butt. Because they were all posers after him. I right. mean, they all wanted to be right. exactly. David Lee Roth. They all wanted to be Diamond Dave. I mean, and I still feel that way. Well, somebody who actually really knows something about this is listener Carl in Olympia. Uh, he might not use the term butt rock. He might say Camaro rock. Is that right, Carl? Uh, Camaro rock is another term that we've used within the band to kind of differentiate ourselves from butt rock. Because, as I've just heard you say, we do kind of use the term as a knock. It's a right. little bit of a slam. It's not a big, huge, enormous put down. Um, but yeah. So you go with you go with Camaro rock. We tend to brand ourselves more as Camaro Rock. And who's who's we, by the way? We would be a cover band called The Boinkers. Um, we play a lot of material from that particular time period, and we play at a lot of watering holes in the Pierce County area and that kind of stuff. Uh, go out and have a lot of fun with it. Uh, what's What's one of the most classic... Uh, I'll say Camaro Rock out of respect, Carl, because you're one of our, our oldest and truest fans, and we uh-huh. love that about you. On their very first night, when we were getting hundreds of the meanest emails ever, Carl and Olympia was emailing us and keeping our spirits up. So I will, out of respect, Carl, I will call it Camaro. What is the most Camaro Rock song you think the Boinkers play? Boy, um, I would think one of them would be Bad Name by Bon Jovi. Oh, Really? Yeah, it So you think Bon Jovi, you would consider Bon Jovi to be uh, butt or Camaro rock? Camaro rock, yes. Butt rock, no, because I don't view them as needing slamming. Oh, I see. Yeah. I see. Um, so you kind of, you say, you actually wrote this really great email, which is, I think, maybe kind of the definitive treatise on this topic. You say, back in the day, the term butt rock was usually applied to bands not made up of serious players or schooled musicians, um, bands that chose to sell out by displaying their wares to increase their market share. Yeah, and so it, in just a little bit of talking that I've been doing with a couple of people the last couple of days, it seems there are three aspects to the butt rock thing. One okay. of them has to do with the instrumentation, the kind of music that they're actually creating, um, usually guitar prominent, usually involving drums, if there are keyboards, there are often lofty introductions during which the first verse will be sung. It's kind of formulaic that way. The second aspect to it seems to be spandex-clad asses. And um, you had one of those, right, Carl? I did have one of those um, from 83 to 85. You have the years narrowed down. Did which? You have the years, Exactly. 83 to 85, because around 85, I quit having to wear spandex. I wasn't in that band anymore. Whoa, sorry, that's not what I meant to play. Um, yeah. Carl, you actually, you actually did, you, you, you laced up with the spandex. Did it, when you stood on stage, did you feel, did you feel alive, or did you feel like a butt rocker? No, I was really glad to have a microphone to hide behind, because it felt a little bit silly. <laughs> But this was just what everybody was doing. That it was the uniform. Uh, it was no different than the businessman showing up in the three-piece suit. Except uh, this one was made of spandex, and we could kind of see your junk through it. It's a little different. Absolutely nothing to the imagination. Um, so, yeah, definitely different than a three-piece suit that way. Um, what, did you say there, were, there was three? You gave us the first two. What's the third? Yeah, um, the third seems to be... A sense of self-importance when none is really warranted. (laughs) Okay, so to me, Van Halen would not be butt rock because Edward Van Halen launched tens of thousands of guitar players as an inspiration. And you call him Edward. That's the formality with which you treat him. You can hear the reverence. Deity. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, deity could possibly apply. Um, so I don't think of Van Halen as butt rock. 
Um, just what about Guns N' Roses? Also not. What about Def Leppard? Nope. Motley Crue? On the fringe. Um, <laughs> on the fringe, just due to... Uh, they didn't launch any new vistas. They didn't create any new genres. They, Motley Crue seems to be the, the, the fence sitter. Everyone has a bit of trouble there. They pause for a minute. They're not sure. Yeah, it rocked. It kicked but not necessarily would I say that it was butt rock. Well, Carl, listen, we, we have, I'm sorry to say, we only have about 30 seconds here. Okay. Um, I just want to ask you, as a Camaro rocker now, what uh-huh. it, what, and, and, and even at the times when you still stray into butt rocking, what is the, supply, the sublime joy of butt rock that you would like to try to express to people that, do you, that, that the boinkers project when they're out there playing? I get to play rock star two nights a week, a couple weekends a month and that is something that is nothing but joy and then i go back to my mortgage and my wonderful cat and my day job at the music store and live a normal life um but then get to simply live out a fantasy that a whole bunch of people would love to have a midlife crisis about i don't need to i'm already there for me a midlife crisis would be having to put on the three-piece suit well carl uh, the website for the boinkers is what TheBoinkers.com. Make sure that you put the the in front of it. Otherwise, you'll end up at a British porno site. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a whole different kind of butt rock that maybe we'll take on next week. Carl, thank you so much for coming on, and we'll definitely check out the website, TheBoinkers.com. You are very welcome. Thanks. Have a great night. You too. All right. We've got to get out of here. We'll send you out with a little bit of uh, autograph. Turn the radio up. This is an era of music that I am particularly passionate about because it was my growing up era from like the time I was 14, 15 to 21, 22. This was when this music was in its heyday and it's goddamn embarrassing to me. Um, <laughs> this, because that's when you, you, that's when you form your, your, your music appreciation for a lifetime, you know? And uh, fortunately for the most part, I was able to steer clear of this um, bullshit. But, but here's the thing back then, um, if they weren't playing your stuff, the the music that you like to hear, cause I had some, some cool people that steered me towards some cool music, but we could never get enough of it. Cause it wasn't playing on the radio and the record store would only carry like two tapes of whatever artists that you were actually into. So a lot of times we were forced to listen to this bullshit. And I will say that the videos were fine. You know, that's where you could see a lot of nice looking young ladies in these butt rock videos. That was, I had no problem with that. Um, but the only, the only thing I was really vulnerable to that they were talking about in this episode, and I think every young man of a certain age was vulnerable to, was the charisma of Diamond Dave. Um, we, we all fell for it. So, and I think he, he launched a thousand of those bands. I agree. Totally. Uh, my being younger than both of you, uh, I think insulates me from a lot of this. I'm familiar with all of this music, but I get it in the wonderful lens of retrospect. (laughs) You can cherry pick it. Yeah, exactly. I can take the greatest hits and leave the rest behind, just like the Boinkers. (laughs) (laughs) The Boinkers, they're still going strong. (laughs) And they're still playing the same 20 of your favorite songs of that era based on the list on their website. I looked at their uh, dates. Then they played the Muckleshoot Casino last year. <laughs> that was a big gig for them. I for bet. Sure. Uh, they, they spent most of their time, they spend most of their, their time, their gigs at a place called the Royal Bear, which is uh, along a highway in Algona. And that is... Um, it's a place that time forgot. It's a pretty decent sized venue, and it is also the only place that I've ever done karaoke. Uh, and and really? quite horribly, I'm I'm told. <laughs> Everybody does karaoke horribly, though. That's the point. All right, I have a question. Uh, there's a real issue here with the definition of butt rock. Uh, at one point, uh, a listener, Tycho, <laughs> says that 
Guns N' Roses should be in there. And Jen has this serious moment where she sincerely says, I don't know how we're going to deal with that. (laughs) (laughs) She's not wrong. (laughs) Right. And so the, the fundamental question is, if a band is good enough, do they graduate out of butt rock or are the greatest bands of that era just exemplary examples of butt rock? Hmm. Well, Mike, did you guys call it butt rock? No. Uh, we didn't uh, either. I, even rem- I don't even remember what we called it. I just, you know, you knew it when you saw it. <laughs> You're like, oh my God, that's awful. <laughs> I mean, we call them hair bands. Yeah, hair bands, I guess. But and and that's that might be one of the reasons that uh, Guns N' Roses has a problem there is they don't tease up their hair, right? Right. They just had lots of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's plenty of hair, but it wasn't teased, so they yeah. didn't really fit exactly that definition. I I wouldn't have called them a hair band. I think I would Not have called really. them more like heavy metal or hard rock or right. something. Right. I mean, it wasn't the kind of music that was for me, but. It was it was good. It was a good example of what those types of bands were trying to do. So I wouldn't like slam them with a pejorative like that. Yeah, I wouldn't have either. I just wouldn't have called them that. And then they kind of walked that line though with the power ballad because I kind of I also think that that's also a staple item to a butt mm-hmm. rock band. You got to have that power ballad. Mm-hmm. Well, those are the rise above songs of those groups. <laughs> Uh, Our friends over at Earbuds and Earworms just posted on Facebook looking for themes, ideas for upcoming shows. Uh, And I noticed somebody posted great songs by terrible bands (laughs) and then conversely, terrible songs by great bands. (laughs) And so, you know, you're always going to get one or two of those ballads. It's the guy who's really cutting into the B-sides and deep into the albums of the butt rock that ruin any Friday night with the jukebox in some townie mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, Completely. Yeah. It's still happening today in Long Beach. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah. Oh, when no. I first started, when I first started hosting trivia, my first show was this bar that nobody wanted out in the sticks in West Warwick, Rhode Island. And um, I would go in and I would play my music. And I'm always trying to come up with playlists that will accommodate the people at that bar. I just couldn't. I mean, I couldn't do it. I couldn't come up with anything that was as bad as what they'd want. But the place had, in, you know, an internet jukebox, a TouchTunes jukebox. And so once I was done, they would get back over there and just load it up with all of this terrible. I mean, I, I've got a pretty deep knowledge of this music, but they would go way deeper than anything I knew. And it would just be terrible. <laughs> Does it speed up your packing up process? Oh, yeah. I get the fuck out of there. I'll I'll sort it out later. Just shoving it to the back of the Yaris and leave it. <laughs> leave three quarters of a beer. Just <laughs> chair spinning. They did not like me. I We still don't, to this day, understand why that bar owner wants to pay us to have trivia. It's not the right fit for that bar, but they keep mm-hmm. doing it. Hey, do you ever get a crowd that's so dumb that they can't answer any of the questions at all? Yes. Oh, it's painful. <laughs> it was so painful. <laughs> I was about to say, I know that my colleague is listening to this and laughing her ass off right now because she coordinates all our shows. Uh, I always, uh, crotch rock, by the way, was the term that, oh. that I grew up with. For yeah. yeah. Not bad. Not bad because is, I, don't, I don't remember everyone shaking their butts, but they were definitely, you know, definitely their, their prives were on display. Right. Well, I mean, that spandex goes 360. So you <laughs> yeah. just take it where you want it, I guess. And they're, and they're, they're white guys, so most of their butts aren't anything to look at anyway. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Camaro rock is a term that bothers me because uh, it feels like it throws Camaro Kev under the bus. <laughs> but doesn't so, Camaro Kev love his uh, Def Leppard? Doesn't he have that he on the uh, laser disc? Yes, yeah. And karaoke oh, yeah. shortlist, yeah. <laughs> He would so. marry that drummer if he if he ever got a chance. <laughs> Just like that girl that Luke went to school with. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Just another talented person with a stump. <laughs> yes. I didn't know that was going to be a theme. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about Camaro Carl 
as you put them in your notes, Mike, this <laughs> listener from Olympia, uh, from the aforementioned cover band, The Boinkers, who appear to still be going, uh, according to theboinkers.com. Mm-hmm. By the mm-hmm. way, he advises us not to go to boinkers.com because it's some sort of British porn site. Um, I mm. did try it in an incognito window. And, uh, yes, of it course. Is, yeah. Uh, no longer a porno site, but it's not available. It's being parked by GoDaddy. It says I could make an offer for that uh, that URL. I leave that to Jeremy most of the time. <laughs> mm. There might be a buck to be made in the UK with that site, I think. There might be. Yeah. If anyone's curious, whenever we throw out a URL on the show, Jeremy usually goes and tries to register it, which is why pod.dog will now take you to littleredbandwagon.com. Nice. Yeah. Um, I actually really liked uh, Carl's breakdown, though, of the genre. He says, one, it's about the instrumentation. So you've got that uh, heavy guitar, drums, lofty keyboard. Uh, Two, it's the spandex. And uh, three, the sense of unearned (laughs) self-importance. You think the millennials could could relate to that? (laughs) Yeah, maybe it'll all come back. False confidence. Uh, Technically, I'm a millennial, but uh, I don't have the false confidence. (laughs) Bobby, you are you, only you are a millennial. No way, a millennial. Yeah, you're only Correct. a millennial by age. Anybody that has the encyclopedic right. knowledge of murder she wrote that you have, it takes you right out of the running. <laughs> you will not be named millennial of the year. <laughs> I no couldn't be happier. <laughs> Congratulations! Yes. Thank you. Uh, did anything else about this clip uh, tickle either of you that we need to address it? I just want to say the reason that I knew that I loved TBTL is because of things like Jen saying, oh, dear, how are we going to deal with this? <laughs> or how yeah. are we going to deal she with really it? She really cared. She really, really cared. For sure. It wasn't always the subject matter, but the chemistry that the three of them had in the early days. And I think, you know, it was still great today, just a different chemistry that uh, that really mm-hmm. is what made me feel like. They were my friends, and I needed to hear about their weekend and Andrew's diet and all those things. <laughs> That's sweet. Um, bringing it back uh, to me, I will say that I'm not proud of a lot of the things I did when I was a youth. Um, but one thing that I am very proud of is that I never adopted any of the fashion or the look or anything that happened in the in the late 70s, 80s, or 90s. And that's been great for me because there's no pictures that can come back to haunt me, you know, wearing some bullshit or, you know, wearing wearing the spandex pants, thank God, or any, any of that stuff. Uh, basically, just T-shirts and fitted ball caps. And uh, that's my advice to, to the youth of today. Just keep it... Keep it on the straight and narrow, especially with all the cameras everyone has now. Man, don't go with any trends. Stay away from any trends. So. Good advice. Uh, that's how I dress Thank now. <laughs> Just, yeah. T-shirt, a, fitted ball cap, yep. jeans. I've got a fitted cap for each of my teams in each of the sport leagues I follow. Right, and, right. Uh, you never go wrong with that because – It'll just be retro. They'll say, oh, he's got the old school yeah. hat on. Well, it turns out the picture's 20 years old. It was new school <laughs> at the time. <clears throat> uh, Mike, except the perm, right? Someday we're going to see a picture of the perm. Oh, perm lasted one day. I don't think there was any pictures. Thank God. I, did, I went to straightening it. <laughs> Pretty quickly. Uh, well, we'll put... Uh, we'll put uh, hair iron on the Christmas list for you. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, And with that, uh, I'll let us know how we get involved. You can find us on our website, littleredbandwagon.com or pod.dog. On Facebook, we're at Little Red Bandwagon and the Stens page. On Twitter, at LRB Podcast. Michelle, how should people get you on the internet? Uh, You can friend me on Facebook. And I'm on Twitter as Mitch Zink, M-I-C-H-Z-I-N-K. I like it. That is marginally easier to pronounce, too. <laughs> Email us at littleredbandwagon at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail at 802-432-TBTL. That's 802-432-8285. Michelle, thank you so much for coming on with us today. And uh, hopefully people won't notice it too, too much. But 
uh, dealing with just a Fogelberg full of recording <laughs> issues. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Michelle, I also wanted to uh, mention for everyone, another way to get involved with the show is to have a horrific accident about uh, 12 or 13 years ago and um, go through horrible, horrible operations and rehabilitations and finally get yourself a prosthetic leg and then um, send me a direct message and then we can uh, get you get get any of you folks on the show so yeah. that's that's a shortcut for anyone. <laughs> another piece of advice for me open policy for that <laughs> yeah i'll get you right on as soon as you go through that i'm gonna get you bang you'll be on the show uh and with that since i got the christy questions i'll get us out of here until next time this is the next party Oh, Jen, we love that you care so much. We really love you. Nailed it. Yeah, you did. (laughs) That was solid. Did you ever? (laughs) Boom, that was the best. (laughs) Ha!